0: Hey, well, good morning. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, My name's Stephen, and uh, wow, what a morning. Incredible, uh, incredible. Hopefully it's just gonna get better. You know, we're in this series today on questions. Let's all say that together, questions. And just looking at these questions that Jesus asked. And the very first question that Jesus ever asked, Jesus was 12 years old, just like Philip, 12 12 years old. And so we're gonna unpack what that looks like today. You know, Jesus asked over 300 questions. Questions throughout his lifetime, and questions just have this power in our lives, don't they? Questions just just do something. Questions have this ability to help us fight apathy. Um, have you ever had noticed how some questions can be really confusing? Has that ever happened? You got a question like, "I'm really confused." Recently, I was at Cafe Intermezzo up at the Avalon. anybody anybody know what I'm talking about? You've been up to Cafe. So I walk in the bathroom at the cafe, and um, all of a sudden, I hear this question: "Would you like a photo?" Like that's weird, (laughs) and then it went on to say that phrase in Italian. It was trying to teach me to say an Italian phrase, but in the midst of that, I was I was really confused. And then, then (laughs) which is the story of my life. Listen, sometimes questions can be super frustrating, can't they? Sometimes questions can be, can be frustrating. Like if you're married and your spouse is hungry and it's time to go out to eat and, they, and, the, and you ask them, hey, where do you want to go to eat? And they bite your head off and they talk to their teeth like this because they're frustrated. Man, the questions, questions can be frustrating. Last night my wife asked me, did you close the garage? I'm like, woman? I'll close him when I'm ready. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I did not say that, uh, but I knew it would be funny because um, you know better. But questions, questions can be fr- frustrating. Questions, questions can be convicting, can't they? Like another question that's convicting me, hey, did you call the kids today? Yes, I didn't. Yeah, um, did you call your mom today? Have you ever had someone maybe ask you a question about some need in the world, something going on in the world, and, uh, man, you're just like, oh, I didn't know that was actually a problem, and we just get convicted. And this is what questions can do. Questions just have this ability to stir the sediment off of our soul to get down to some true things in our life, some things that maybe we'd forgotten. Questions have this ability to help us to move through apathy at times when we get apathetic in life, help us to kind of live with hope towards the future. You know, it stirs curiosity. In us helps us to stay hungry and humble and curious. Man, questions just have this power. And Jesus was a master at asking questions. And so what we've done over the last few weeks is just unpack some of these questions. Last week, we talked about this question, what do you want? Like, what do you, what do you want? And, I, and it frustrates some people when you ask that question. What do you want? People don't really know. We don't spend enough time thinking about the deep questions in life and what do we want. Now, and it was a compelling question. And today on the surface, the question may not seem as compelling. And as we look at it from a surface level, it may not be as compelling. But, but I promise you, if you stay with me, then it actually is more important than the question we asked last week. Come on. Like, we, I really believe it's going to set some people free today and because it's such a unique question. Now, in Jesus' life, we know a lot about the time when he was born, don't we? Like some of you guys, I could, you could throw out, I could ask you some, date, some data about the Christmas story. You'd be able to throw out some things, wouldn't you? Like Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and they put him in a manger right next to the Christmas tree in Santa Claus. And, you know, and then there were some wise men around, not really sure how many. Like we would know some things about that. And then if you fast forward to the time when Jesus is 30... And his ministry starts, 98% of what we know happens from the time he's 30 to 33. And and maybe you don't really have a category um, to follow Jesus and you haven't really been studying. But you may have heard some of the things that he did, like maybe walk on water. Possibly you heard of that story. There's some things you would know. But from the time he was born to the time he turns 30, we have one story. We have one scene from his life, one vignette. It must be really, really important. And this is the one that we have. Now, I think for most of us, there's, some, there's a time period between birth and age 30. We'd like to forget. Can you say high school? Come on, right? Like there's some things we'd love to leave out. We get one story from the life of Jesus. Let me, let me set it up for us. It says in that very first verse uh, that Philip read earlier, in uh, verse 41, it says his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Now, 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 to understand how crucial the question is, you need to know the context. Okay, so they're at the Passover when this happens. Now, the Passover for Jesus, it was, it's the highlight of the Jewish calendar. And what had happened in the Passover is that a few thousand years before, the nation of Israel was in slavery in Egypt. Man, they, they couldn't do what they wanted. They were in forced labor and they were in slavery. It says that God looked down on them and he saw them and he had compassion on them. He sends Moses to go and get them. Moses goes to the Pharaoh, the king, the guy in charge. He says, let my people go. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. And Pharaoh says, oh yeah, sure. You know, my economic engine, just let it walk on out the door. Sure, you can take it, right? Of course, he says no. And then, and then, and then Moses says, if you don't, there's going to be some bad things happen. And so God sends these plagues over the nation of Egypt to, to force Pharaoh's hand. Man, there's darkness that happens. There's flies that come in. There's locusts that eats crops. There's frogs that begin to crawl out of the Nile. The, the water of the Nile turns to blood. There's, um, all, there's these other things that happen. And, the, and it gets to the 10th one. And the 10th one's the really bad one. All the way up until that one, Pharaoh didn't change his mind. And you get to the 10th one, and the 10th one, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, okay, we've tried everything we know. God's been gracious to you up until now. But this 10th one, what's going to happen is God is going to come through the nation of Egypt, and he is going to kill the firstborn of every animal and every human being in the nation of Egypt, unless you make a sacrifice and you put blood over the doorpost of your house. And then what's God going to do? God is going to pass over your house. Uh, This is Passover. It just commemorates the greatest liberation that we've ever seen in history. And so we know that through that, the nation of Israel makes their way out of Egypt, and they go to the promised land. This is the context with which we get Jesus' first question man and what we what we see is him beginning to step into this calling that God has on his life to step into his purpose and so we see in verse 41 through 43 it says every it says his parents went to Jerusalem they went watch how often every year every year they went to celebrate the feast of passover now now, now you weren't required to go every year you could go every other year but they went every year they were what consistent man it was predictable it goes on to say they went every year to the feast. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to what? According to custom. And it was consistent. It was predictable. It says when the feast was ended, what does that mean? They stayed the whole time. Eight days. You ever left something early? Maybe a Braves game and they ended up winning? You were kicking yourself because you're not a true sports fan if you leave early, Right? You ever left anything early because you got tired? Something else pressed in on your schedule? Something else seemed more urgent or important? They didn't leave early. They stayed till it was ended. And as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents did not know it. So he stays behind in Jerusalem. And then that's where we get the context of this question. Like, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? So what, what, what Jesus is saying, like, didn't you know I would be doing the things you taught me to do? The things that we consistently did as I was growing up, like didn't you know this is where we would be? And listen, consistency just communicates what we value. Hello? Right? Consistency communicates the values that we have in life. You know, there's a saying that says, strong leaders do consistently what other leaders do occasionally. Strong leaders do consistency what other leaders do occasionally. And you could fill that gap. You could fill that blank with some other things. For instance. Strong spouses do consistently what others do occasionally. You know, it's great to show up on a Friday with flowers and say, hey, we're going to the mountains this weekend or to the beach. It's even better if you take out the trash every day. It's even better if you make coffee. It's even better if you say, I love you every day. It's even better if you're kind. Consistency, man, consistency is crucial. Strong parents do consistently What other parents do occasionally. Like, if you ever had this happen, maybe this is you. One more time. One more time. You just do that one more time. Do you want to sit in time out? Do you want to sit in time out? Do you want to sit in time out? And you're over there going for crying out loud. Like, do something. Like, I'm going to count to three. You better stop. I'm going to count to three. And those kids are crazy. You know why? Because their parents aren't consistent. You can laugh at that or clap. Some of you may want to clap. (laughs) Right? Consistency. Hey, strong Christians do consistently what others do occasionally. And they were consistent in what they taught Jesus. They consistently showed up. And and we have to realize that consistency is the key. Man, consistency is the key. Watch this. In Proverbs chapter 22, it's a verse that maybe a lot of us have heard of. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, Now, this is a principle to life. And what the author is saying is not, hey, train up a child to be Tiger Woods, and then you're going to be rich. He's not not saying that. But the point of this is there's some rhythms that you built in. That's what you revert back to. Man, the patterns of life, the predictable patterns in life, that's what you refer back to. And so when Jesus answers this question about why he's still in Jerusalem, he just reflected back on the patterns that God had given him on the patterns that his parents had built into his life man what are your what about your patterns and then we see that it was very inconvenient for Jesus to go so 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 it was roughly 90 miles so it was about 30 hours of walking it sounds horrible and so they walked for up to a week one way to get there and then they stayed for eight days they say for eight days. And listen, consistency will take you where convenience cannot take you. Consistency will take you where convenience cannot take you. You know, as we look at the patterns of his life, especially revolving around spiritual practices, man, they were inconvenient. And here's what I would tell you. If you follow Jesus or are thinking about following Jesus, it is very convenient. Hello, somebody? Like somebody who's following Jesus is like, no, that's just terrible advice right there. Because it can be inconvenient. Love your enemy that's inconvenient, isn't it? Hey, hey, give some money, that, that seems inconvenient. Spend some time, that seems inconvenient. Hey, there's a handful of student leaders in here, and guess what you've done? Every Wednesday night, you have sowed seeds of consistency for your kids. You've showed up every Wednesday night, and you know what? I bet more than once, if you were honest, you'd be like, yeah, I did not want to go. Stephen, I'm tired. Like, I would rather stay home and watch Survivor tonight. Man, like, like, I don't want to go. Those kids, they don't listen to me. But guess what? When Jason and Denise Moore, like, you know, like, you get six years down the road and you look at all those Wednesday nights that you sat and all the times you went to the escape and all the times you went to pause and the times you went to the ER, Jason. And, man, I'm telling you, like, that made it worth it. Those kids are calling you for when they get married, I man, they're calling you for advice when they get to college. When they have a spiritual question, they're calling you why? Because you were consistent and you've sowed seeds of life into people. And man, I love you for that. Thank you for doing that. And listen. You can pay me later. No, I'm kidding. I didn't even know they were going to be over here. But listen, consistency, consistency, consistency. Listen, sometimes for some of you, you give so consistently, and you give and you give and you give, and you don't even, th- and you begin to think about it like, ah, oh, I could do something different. But listen, I just promise you, every time you show up and you see a baptism, you know what? You can know that you're giving consistently is what made that happen. Man, your faithfulness to sow seeds consistently. And listen, we get out of the habit. We got out of consistency, especially when COVID happened. And we got out of some rhythms and we got out of some routines. And sometimes for us, we need to recapture them. Listen, consistency will eat convenience for lunch. It's not always easy or convenient to show up on a Sunday. It's not easy to show up to group. It's not always convenient to do some things. But let me just tell you, it is worth it. Look at, the, look at what it showed in Jesus' life. Man, look at how it paid dividends for Mary and Joseph. Let me ask you this question. What do consistent rhythms say about my crucial values? What are my consistent rhythms? The things that I do every single day. What does it say about what I really value? Like what is the outcome of the rhythms of your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday and your Thursday? What is the what is the consistency actually generating and building in your life? Man, and then and then Mary lost him. She lost Jesus. <laughs> Man, and we do too. We do too. Since when the feast was ended, they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. Now that wasn't uncommon. Have a group traveling together. They would travel in packs. And, you know, it wasn't uncommon for that to happen. It says, They began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And, and when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard it were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And then his mother said, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. You ever felt that? Like, like I don't, if you're a parent in here, listen, you got to know you've misplaced a child or two at times. Right? And, and, and I get it. I get it. The kids you don't like, you do it on purpose. But sometimes it's on accident. Sometimes. So, so, so we have four kids. And you know, when you have one kid, oh, that's, that's nice. You have two. You're normal. When you have three, it's like, oh, they're special. They're sacrificing for that extra child. When you have four, people look at you like you are weird, right? Like th- people ask you, like, do you have like a-, a passenger van outside you carry all these people in? Um, no, and we can also wear pants. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, they just look at you as if you have lost your mind. But when you have four, you got to have some special things in place to be able to be sure you always have them. Like they didn't have air tags way back in the day. You know, like today you could just sew an air in your kid air tag in your kid's pants, and, and or you could just go ahead and get a chip put in their head. I mean, what's the difference? I know some of you are Republicans. You're like, we would never do that. Yeah, you're like, hey, they they got you got a cell phone. They already know what you're doing. Um, but but we can take up. But we have four kids, and I'll never forget. We, we had John was the baby and there's a certain point the baby you're always sure they're with you But when they can kind of take care of themselves you, you, you tend to maybe forget them And so we'd go to the bus stop to pick up the three kids who were in school And this happened more than once but and our, We'd get back home neighbor would knock on the door we'd open it and there's John and um, Eventually it got the point. He would be standing there. He'd look up at us and go And just walk off we forget him like we would just forget you know, there's times that you forget your kids and you just, man, you panic. And can you imagine? Mary forgets Jesus the angel told her, you're going to give birth to the son of God. He's going to save the people from the world. His name will be Jesus. She forgot him. Like, I don't know about you, but, but if I get told this is my son, I'm getting one of those tethers. Put it on, and they got the little harness thing, and you put it on, and you're just tethered. Like, you, you, you want to go spend the night? Okay, but I'm going to be outside the window because we're staying tethered together. Um, you want to go play? Yeah, but we're staying. T- like, I am going to just, can you imagine the panic when she can't find him? When she realizes how far she's gone. Can you imagine? It says she was in great distress. It just means sheer terror. She's looking for him. Hey, and we need that same level of urgency when it comes to not forgetting Jesus in our own lives. Like we need that sense of desperation, that sense of distress, that sense of urgency in our own lives when it comes to forgetting and leaving Jesus out of our lives. Mary was distressed and panicked. How did this happen? How did, how did she leave him? How did she lose him? Oh, it's really, really simple. She took him for granted. She took him for granted. She just thought he was with somebody else. She just had gotten lulled to sleep. Just like that noise machine that we use at night to help put us to sleep, this is what the world will do to us. This is what the culture will do to us. This is what selfishness will do to us man we just get lulled to sleep and thinking that things are going to be okay and thinking we don't have to worry about it and thinking it's all going to take care of itself and she took Jesus for granted Stone Creek he is the treasure of life man we can't take him for granted and listen it doesn't matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum whether you believe or don't believe, whether you think, ah, I don't know if this is true, whether you're searching, there comes a point where you have to deal with the truth of who Jesus is. Man, we can do so much, but we can lose our lives if we take him for granted. In the book of Mark, uh, a couple of pages over, in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, I believe, let me check. Um, yeah, Mark chapter 8, verse 36, it says this. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Hey, what does it profit a man to start that business and forfeit his soul? What does it profit to have a young body and lose your soul? Hey, what does it forfeit? To save for retirement and forfeit your soul, man. What does it profit to be happy but forfeit your soul? What what does it profit to run my own business or to get married? Like fill in the blank for yourself. Like what does it profit? And then you lose your soul. Man, we live in a culture that's so successful. Man, it, it, we look like we have it together. And we, we love the things that the world has to offer. And that doesn't mean it's bad. But listen, if you don't look deeper this morning, you're going to forfeit your soul. If you don't look longer into eternity, you're going to forfeit your soul there's coming a day of reckoning for all of us that's for me that's for you and if we haven't invested in things that are going to matter if we haven't played the long game and not the short game and by long game I mean beyond 50 years beyond 60 years if we haven't played the long game we're going to lose our soul is what Jesus is saying and that'll happen if we take Jesus for granted what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul let me ask you: Have you taken Jesus for granted? Like, ask yourself: Have I taken Jesus for granted? And, and and it does again. It doesn't mean where you are in the faith journey. It could be that you're just figuring it out, or skeptical, or just completely antagonistic. And, but have you done the work? Have you really looked? Have you really thought? Have you really pondered? The the complexities of life and where you're going and how you're spending your time and your money on things that can be so shallow. Oh, let me read this. I didn't have this plan, so let me see if I can find it real quick because this would be so amazing. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55, yes. It says this, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me, eat what is good, delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me and hear that your soul may live. Right. That's where we need to have our focus on. We need to have eyes on eternity and hearts for heaven. Man, she lost him because she took him for granted. And that's where this question came from. And then we see kind of Jesus' answer in the midst of this. It says, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And and, and his answers. Then it goes on in 52, it says this. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Like this seems to be the summary of his life up until he turned 30. He increased in wisdom. He understood more about how the world worked. Somehow he began to make uh, better decisions. Now, we all know that, you know, he was God and man all at the same time. There's a mystery in there. So there's some things that we don't need to know and shouldn't know. But he increased in wisdom and stature. He grew bigger bigger. He got taller. That's literally physically stature. Then it's his favor with God. God began to look on him and, and, uh, and, and applaud him and be proud of him. And it says he grew in favor with man too. He had a good reputation, right? This is, and this all happened while nobody was looking. You see, Jesus was willing to pay the price when nobody was looking. Man, he had this culture of growth built into his life. Listen, it is in the grind that you find the goodness of God. Amen? Right? It is in the grind that you find the goodness of God. It is in doing those things that nobody else sees you doing. You know, when the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, that's when you begin to see the goodness of God. Like everybody wants to be launching to do what Jesus did when he was 30 and launched his public ministry. Nobody wants to ask the questions he was asking when he was 12 and so jesus is underground doing the things that nobody sees now now this is the kind of the the, the rabbinical method of teaching so you would go into the temple and you would find a rabbi kind of in this large temple area that you liked. You liked their teaching. A little bit like celebrity pastors today. You know, you got their podcast or you're listening to them. I know you all listen to me all week long. I get that. Um, you know, but you find the person that you like, you kind of gravitate toward. It's a little bit like that. So Jesus would have gravitated towards a specific rabbi. And then they would have begun asking questions. And this was the rabbinical method. The, the student would ask a question. The rabbi would respond with a question, and it would have the student to have a deeper understanding of the question that he was asking, some of the unintended consequences and some of the uh, ramifications of his question. So this is the method that Jesus was using, and he would have used it his entire life until he turned 30, until he actually began to have his own followers and became a rabbi himself. He was doing this underground out of sight, consistent rhythms while nobody was looking. He was—he had this posture of growth. Man, Jesus, he just wanted to be the powerhouse that God had created him to be. And he had this posture for growth because he wanted to be better. Have you noticed, man, we don't settle for average in anything. Hello? Like I was yesterday's downtown at the Avalon. Anybody else downtown at Avalon? Uh, not, yeah, Avalon downtown also, both places down there. Kids are running crazy. Man, there's people everywhere. Uh, just crossing the middle of the street. We have the best restaurants. I mean, you can sit on the rooftop, eat good food, and watch people be stupid. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, you go to a restaurant. We go to a restaurant the other day, and there was a little dirt on the plate, and Debbie's like, hey, can you bring me a new plate? Like, you don't get that in the rest of the world. You know what they would do? Spit on it, wipe it off, and you would be good to go, right? I mean, we don't settle. We don't settle for less than excellent with our children and our schools and our shops. Um, We don't settle for less when we order online at Amazon. Man, we don't settle for less than the best. And we should pursue the same kind of growth when it comes to our relationship with God. Man, we should have that same level of, I mean, I want to be the best I can be. I want God to look at me and say, I'm proud of you. Now, I'm not saying we have to work for our salvation. Absolutely. But we should want to do the things that God has asked us to do and to grow and to be pushing forward. And Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus had three things in here that helped him grow. First of all, Jesus had a place. Man, Jesus had a place. He he had a family, obviously, because we see that's where it started. But then also he was in the temple. He was in the temple. Hey, what is your place for spiritual growth? Like, what's the place where you learn, where you grow, where you're challenged? It can be here, obviously, on a Sunday as we worship, and you get to see, hear stories and watch baptisms and hear God's word open. This also happens in smaller groupings. Like, who do you have close by you that's helping challenge you and lean into you and, and help you to be better and to be the person that you want to be? And Jesus had the place. It was the temple. He had the process. For Jesus, it was this rabbinical method, right? It was this rabbinical uh, method of question asking. He had a process. Like, what's your process? Like, like, like here's the thing. If, if, you, if you wake up, and this is going to sound super harsh, and I'm glad. But, um, <laughs> no, I, I don't want it to be, but, but I just want to be honest. Like, if you wake up every morning, you grab your phone, you read the verse of the day. You say, God, man, bless my day, and you go on. That's the same thing as going to the gym, jumping on the treadmill for 10 minutes, going home and drinking a protein shake and expecting to look like Sean Curry. Like that, (laughs) it's not going to work. That's not how you get there. Man, it's it's a process. And it requires the grind of being consistent. With the Lord, Jesus had a place. He had a process. He had people. I kind of referenced that. Man, don't you love it when you come here? It's just energy. You just get to worship with people. You get to see people that you know. You get to meet people. You just get to be around people. And then when you go and you're in group with people, and you just get to man sharpen each other's uh, edges, and sh- and just gives you the tools that you need for the journey, the weapons you need to fight the battles. It encourages you. Man, people can pray for you. You know, God wants us to always be growing. I would challenge you on this one thing. I, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you on giving your early mornings to the Lord. I'm going to challenge you on giving your early mornings to the Lord. I know some of you are like, mornings, oh my gosh, Stephen, like 930 is as early as I can even get to church. Um, I, I get it. And I know a lot of people are like, I'm a night person. I'm a night person. So the mornings are where the Lord shows up. Even David was like, early in the morning will I seek you. Like when you watch Jesus' method, Jesus went early in the morning. And the morning is the first part of your day. It's the best part of the day. It sets the stage for your day. It sets the stage for how you're going to view your perspective, what's important. The morning is what's going to set the stage for you. Now, now one of the things that Christianity has done that hasn't done mornings any favor is we have called the time you spend with the Lord your quiet time. How many of you have heard the words quiet time before? Like, like some of you, like, what a dumb idea. Like, who wants to get, if, if I'm going to have quiet time, you know where I'm going to have it? In the bed. Why am I going to be awake for that? Right? I can have quiet time while I'm sleeping. If you look at Jesus and the time he spent with the Lord, not quiet. I mean, if you look at how the early church prayed, it wasn't quiet. I prefer to call it the morning watch. You should watch, you should write this down. Right? Our time in the morning should be called the morning watch. Let's say these words together. Morning watch. One more time. Morning watch. Because when you, in the Bible, as you look up, they put watchmen on the walls. You know what they do? Man, they're looking out. Man, they're looking out over the horizon. They're looking for dangers that are coming. They're getting the city ready for the business of the day. Man, they're at work looking, man. And we should be, for those of you who follow Jesus, and this is your home, so if you've been here more than twice, you love Stone Creek and this is your place. Um, Listen, we should be on the wall. We should be on the wall. Man, we should be praying for people. We should be reading God's word, letting him blow it into our hearts. Man, we should be asking God to save people, asking God to change our community. You should be praying for your family members. The morning watch. Man, this is where, man, we can consistently sow seeds for the day. We can see God begin to work. And over a period of time, what you're gonna notice is that your life begins to get a little more orderly. And when you face chaos... And you walk into a meeting you didn't expect to have. There's some accident you didn't know was going to happen. You get a call from your doctor you weren't expecting. You're going to have the tools you need to walk that road. Listen, the morning watch. Hey, what is your growth plan? What's your growth plan? And what is your growth plan? How do you expect God to grow your soul? Like not, not your body physically, you need that. Man, not your mind expanded educationally or, you know, being well-read. Like, how is God going to grow your soul? And then then we kind of see Jesus' answer, just to unpack this for a minute. And we see the two most important words are in these next few verses that I'm going to go over. Verse 48 says, When his parents saw him, they were astonished. I bet they were. (laughs) And his mother said, son, why have you treated us like this? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Hey, underline that, father's house, really important. Now, here's the thing. Mary had looked in some wrong places. It says she looked where friends, uh, relatives and acquaintances. She had looked some places that Jesus wasn't. What does she need to look? She needed to go back where she saw him last. She needed to go back. Now, when we were, the first time, one of the first few times we went down to 30A. Anybody like vacationing at 30A? Anybody? Yep. Anybody going to go for spring break? Right? No, you're going to be here for Easter. All right. Um, you're going after, after church. Um, so, we were at 30A and we had gone with another family. And so, we had crossed over 30A and we were at the beach. It was night, you know, we're just out there hanging out. And we come back. And so, we get back to the house and everybody's scrambling. All the kids are playing. And at this point in life, you know, we had kind of gone to a countdown method of kids let's count off one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. That's how we knew everybody was in the house. But we didn't count off that time simply because it was so, so many other kids. And so, we get there and my son Ethan is gone. And uh, he's not with us. I know what you're thinking. You seem to forget your children a lot, Stephen. But Ethan's not there. And so immediately I realize that I sprint back across, go up to the boardwalk, and I'm standing, kind of looking down the stairs over the beach, can't really see what's happening. And I just start yelling his name. Listen, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care if I wake anybody up. I just don't care. I just care about where my son is so as soon as I call him, he calls, hey, Dad, I'm down here, I'm down here. So I walk down there. I'm like, hey, man, you all right? Uh, you, you look scared. I, I'm not scared, but you look scared. Um, and he says, yeah, you know, he says, you know, I wandered down the beach a little bit. I wasn't really paying attention. And when I came back, y'all were gone. He says, but I knew if I just stayed where you left me, you'd come back to find me. And sometimes when we've left Jesus, we just need to go back to where we left him. And sometimes we just need to go back to where we left him. You know, there's a country song that says, I pulled the rearview mirror off of this old Ford so I could only see in front of me. That ain't ain't always good. (laughs) And I really didn't expect that to be that funny right there. (laughs) You know, sometimes you got to go back. You got to go back to that relationship you need to reconcile. You got to go back to obeying the thing you knew you were supposed to do but you didn't do. And so many times we just want to move past and say, I know, grace is God. I'm forgiven. Man, I'm just going to put that in the past. I won't do that again. But sometimes you got to go back. And maybe what you're missing today, maybe that sense of restlessness and pain and frustration is because you got to go back because there's some unfinished business. Listen, Mary went back. And she found Jesus right where she left him, right in the temple, right where he said he would be, right where she had taught him to be. And then he uses these two words. Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? My father's house. Now, there's some significance here that Jesus is 12. And in the Jewish tradition from 12 to 13 is when you went from being a boy and under your parents' authority to being a man. It's when you have the bar mitzvah. It's when things happen. There's just this transitionary period that happens. It's no accident that we get a story from Jesus' life when he's 12, about to turn 13. And, And then imagine this. Mary says, your father and I were looking for you. And he says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? What did Joseph think when he said that? I have to think for a moment, his mind just flooded back to all the memories. Man, the long walks that they'd taken together. The times around the table, just answering questions. Man, man, the times he went out and played with him or the time he took him to work with him on Bring Your Son to Work Day. They taught him how to sling a hammer and to build stones. Man, taught him how to treat his mom, helped him fall in love. With the, would have been the, the Torah in that culture, man, all the things. Joseph, his mind could have been racing, could have got offended, but I have to think that in that moment as he's thinking, all of a sudden he's like, oh yeah, it's time. He, he knows, it's time. And I have to think Joseph just felt this sense of confidence and satisfaction over Jesus saying, my Father. And it's this personal, intimate term that's used right here. And this same transition that Jesus makes in this moment is the same transition that we have to make. That we go from seeing God as some out there extraterrestrial force or power in the universe. And he comes personally as our dad. As our dad. And I I know that that's complicated for a lot of people. Don't want to even have to run all that down. But I I, I get it, man. Your dad may have you may have not had the greatest relationship with your dad. He could have been abusive or absent. But but think about a good dad and what a good dad would do. And there are several places in the Bible that kind of describe that. I'm going to just hit a couple of them um, to just help us understand more how to see God as our dad. In Romans chapter eight, verse fifteen, Paul's writing this. He says, "This you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into." Fear, but you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So, listen. You don't have. We don't have a spirit of a fear. We don't live with fear. We don't have to live with anxiety. Man, when you have a good dad, you know what? You can go home and feel confident. You can go home to a place of stability where you have somebody who will never leave you or forsake you. I mean, as you as you look back, even in First John uh, chapter three, verse eleven. Excuse me, verse one. John writes this. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. I love that. So we are. And then if you were to look even, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of places in the Bible you could look, but over in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, I believe, verse 11, um, or maybe it's 8, know, 7, verse 11. That's, that's Mark. Let me get to Matthew. Um, Obviously, Jesus is talking here in Matthew chapter seven, verse eleven. Yeah, he says this: "If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask Him?" So we have this dad, man, and Jesus is beginning to stepping step into understanding his purpose because he's understanding God is his real dad. God is his real father, and that's the God that we serve. You know, the, the, the Lord's Prayer starts how? Our Father. Man, maybe you need to hear that today, that there's somebody who is for you and not against you, who loves you, who is good, and wants the best for you, just like a good dad would. Then he uses this word, Father's, father's house, Father's house, in your dad's house. Like I don't know how many times you get to go to your parents' house or your dad's house. My dad passed away um, years ago. But, but, man, just this idea of coming home. And, man, I love when my kids come home and they'll come in and, hey, this is, this is your house. Whatever, here, whatever is here, you can have it as long as you ask. Um, no, I'm joking. Um, but there's just something about being able to go to your dad's house. You don't knock, do you? Just walk in. You don't. You, you don't wonder if they're home or even care if they're home. You're just going in. You're going to what? Make yourself comfortable. You're going to watch the TV show you want to watch. You're going to eat what you want out of the fridge. You're going to get what you want to drink out of the fridge. I mean, you just make yourself at home. Now, there's another another way to look at this idea of house, and it's in your house is always the business of the house. In the house is the business of the house. Watch me carefully. So Jesus, another way to translate this, didn't you know I'd be in my father's. House, But also, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? Yes, business. Jesus was always about his father's business. Man, this was the story of his life, was being about his father's business. Man, he, he made people who couldn't walk, walk. He healed people who were broken. He gave hope to people who were lonely. He gave peace to people who were turned up. Like, Jesus was always about the work of his father. Let me ask you, what work do you need? What business does... God need to do in your heart today like what work does God need to do in your life today man what is it man what are you broken over what have you been praying for what have you stopped praying for I mean last week though man people flooded down here just for us to pray for people and the things that they're going through hey specifically are you lost today meaning you don't know Jesus like you've never decided to follow him you've taken him for granted he's just kind of been this religious icon off to the side that people talk about and you would say, yeah, I follow Jesus. You know, I went to youth group growing up or, you know, my parents took me to church. That worked, didn't it? Listen, you need to follow Jesus today Are you lost and need to get found. And are you just broken? There's something not working in your life and you're just tired of it. And you, you, you've tried to pray through it, but it hasn't really worked. You just gave up. Man, are you sad about something? Like what what in your life is just maybe not working? Physically, are you just broken? You need some healing? Is it your marriage? Maybe you're a parent here with some rebellious teenager. Maybe you're struggling with infertility. And what business does God need to take care of in your life today? Man, I can promise you, he wants to show up. He's a good dad. He's a good dad who wants to give good gifts to his kids. But he wants you to ask. You know, another another thing in the Bible that it calls... The house of God, a house of, you know what it is, prayer. House of prayer. Man, we just want to fan that into flame today. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to make it brief. And we're going to have a team down here that wants to pray for you. It should be a regular part of your day. Hey, I just, some of you guys, you realize today, listen to me really closely. You realize your priorities are wrong. We've been building big houses with big dreams and expensive cars and not that anything's inherently wrong with that but you know you've placed your faith there your energy there you've invested not in eternity but in here maybe that's you today but we're gonna have a team down here and i'm gonna i'm gonna pray for us and as i start praying you come on man these guys and ladies down here they'll pray, they want to pray for you and we're gonna sing one more worship song as you come as you as we pray for you and as we just let god do some work in your life listen if, if this is new for you let me just frame it up for you at the risk of running a little long because it's inconvenient. Um, So it's going to be really simple. You just come down, hey, my name is Stephen. I just need you to pray for my health or whatever it is for you. And that's that's it. And whoever's down here, they're just going to pray for you. They're just going to ask God to do something special. It's not going to be weird. They're not going to push you over. They're not going to ask, not going to bring you on stage, nothing. It's going to be simple, private, right here. We're going to just pray for you. This is what God's people do in God's house. All right, let's pray together.